0: Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and cracky it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth.
1: I was in in Denmark last week, and um, and I will tell you, I
0: every single day I had a different beer. So good! Oh man, <laughs> I, love, I love it. I feel, are you a, are you a well-traveled, I would assume with as much speaking as you do, are you a pretty well-traveled guy? I mean, were you over there speaking or doing a dental conference or what were you doing over that way?
1: Um, No, I was actually, um, I went with my wife just to have one week um, vacation. We Mm -hmm. spent a couple of days in Norway, a couple of days in Denmark, a couple of days in Sweden. Oh, super cool. And and I drink beer in every single place.
0: I mean, I, I don't drink beer before noon. But afternoon, <laughs> it's a green light. <laughs> yeah, it's like the the coffee beer cutoff. It's like I drink coffee up until noon, and then it's socially acceptable after the point.
1: Yeah, that's but, exactly the same. I drink coffee until noon. I don't yeah. drink a cup of coffee after noon. I no, mean, no. I, I I love coffee, and I can't imagine my my mornings without a cup of coffee. But after, you know, my last coffee
0: is probably ten thirty, eleven a.m., something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of travel, I just saw this uh, the other week. There's a cruise line. I can't remember what the cruise line is, but they're doing an um, around-the-world 10-month-long, 8- or 10-month-long cruise around the world. It's like $100,000 per person, uh, but you live on a cruise ship. It starts in Florida, goes down around uh, the Horn of or I guess the South, South, uh, South America, it stops at all these different countries. You see all seven continents up, comes up, cuts over to Hawaii, to Asia, Australia, Europe. I will tell you, if I have
1: no question, if I have the money, I will, I mean, if I'm retired and I have the money, I will do that in a minute. Oh, I, oh, I, I think so. Vacation is the only activity that you spend money, but you get rich. A hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, traveling, traveling mm-hmm. is, is uh, I travel all around the world. I just got this, um, <laughs> not to travel. So I need to look and, um, I go maybe three or four
0: times to Europe per, mm-hmm. per year. So, wow. um, Holy smoke. so, okay. Let me back up then how, with all the speaking that you do, um, I mean, how many States, give me a scope, of, like of how much you've lectured, like, have you lectured in almost every, I mean, you've been doing it for so long and you do it so 41. 41 states? Uh-huh. That's cool. What are some of the, just some of the oddball weird, like a Rhode Island and a Montana or something? No, I, of?
1: um, Alaska, Wyoming, uh, South Dakota, because I, I, I talk in North Dakota. I'm going to speak in Alaska in June. That's one of the states that I never, so I will be speaking in. It's, it's an Alaska cruise, so. Mm-hmm. Alaska at is cool. Have you been to Alaska uh, before? No, never. I've never been in Alaska. Yeah. Uh, Rhode Island, Vermont. Um, the other day I counted, uh, but but really few. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine yeah. it probably will take me a couple of more years, I hope to complete all 50
0: (laughs) for sure that's cool well i saw you speak for the first time um in residency i think it would have been three years ago but you were lecturing um at the boards review course like the written um the written boards review course in Las uh, las vegas yes sir yep so i heard you lecture in las vegas and now you know, I, I imagine that's how most pediatric dentists know who you are. People have been asking to get you on the podcast for a long time. So I was really excited to, but obviously you lecture so much and you're such a good lecturer, you know, um, <laughs> like you're, you're very well known as you know, in like the, the world of young pediatric dentists. So it's, it's really cool to have you on. I appreciate you taking the time to come chat with me and stuff. I am a teacher, so I love to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Yep, tell me more, you know, I kind of just got us recording here as we were going, cause I, Um, I know we're both doing stuff and I didn't want to miss anything, but I know we've got some stuff to talk about. Um, That's kind of a cool topic. I'm trying to, I want to have more topics on things that I'm not an expert on that I don't have strong opinions on. Because a lot of times with the podcast, I'll start talking about startup things and things that are really unique to me. But um, sometimes it's nice to have lectures and conversations about topics I don't know much about. And that's going to be one of the ones today. So I'll do my best to try to ask questions and give feedback. But, you know, I'm going to... I'm definitely, I I, I will help you to
1: make the things easier. No worries.
0: Good, good, good. So, um, tell me about like, you know, when we were talking about some, some topics of conversation we could talk about today, you jumped on the, um, you know, like radiation safety and pediatric dentistry pretty quickly. Is this, is this like a new area of like research or study that you've been focusing in on lately, or have you historically really been involved or done more, you know, been more interested in this field for a while?
1: Well, uh, I can answer this, uh, honestly, Casey, I can, I can answer this question in two ways. I can give you a short answer or I can give you a long answer, but I will kind of <laughs> just give you a middle answer. Okay. So um, I need to move back my life over 20 years. Um, I became a pediatric dentist not too long ago. I finished mm-hmm. my residency program at the University of Kentucky in 2012. Mm-hmm. But so that means that I started my program in 2010. So actually this summer, I'm going to celebrate 10 years after my graduation as a pediatric dentist. But before that, I was for 10 years the director of radiology at the University of Kentucky. I did radiology. So um, in fact, I'm originally from Columbia. My first step here in the US was the University of Iowa in in Iowa City, Iowa. And, uh, And it was a big cultural shock i remember like today when i moved in 1999 when i moved to iowa was a big shock i you know this is before internet before texting and it is a different story but the point is i went to iowa i did radiology and um after that i went to the university of pennsylvania and i did oral medicine so that was a good combination because radiology and oral medicine they can be actually put together under oral diagnosis. And then mm-hmm. I accepted a faculty position at the University of Kentucky. And my job in Kentucky was, I was the radiologist. So my life was around radiation safety and teaching the dental students how to take radiographs using the um, the um, Dexter, we used to call Dexter, you know, the mm-hmm. mannequin that you mm-hmm. learn how to, <laughs> how to take periapicals <laughs> and biographies. Yep. yep. And uh, so, you know, uh, Working in interpretation with the students and the residents and um um you know my life was pretty much i would say probably eighty percent of the time in the dark room. You are too young, Casey to really know what is a dark room, but mm-hmm. believe it or not at some <clears> point in dentistry, we used to have a room that was dark with a red light almost like a bar mm-hmm. and um and um and the students will take the radiograph and then go to this room and open it up the package under this darkness and then put the package in different liquids and it will take 20 minutes. So um, moving forward, um, when I decide, and I really want to do pediatric dentistry for a long time, but different things happen in my life or around my life that really kind of stop me to apply to pedo. But finally I kind of tie my belt and I said, you know, if I want to do pedo, I need to do it regardless of, you know, my, I was already a faculty an associate professor with tenure at the University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I was working at the hospital as in the department of radiology working at the dental school as the director of radiology. So my life was pretty I would say safe. And uh, so when I took the decision to jump into pedo, I apply, I match at the University of Kentucky. Then when I finished pido, I start to put together the dots and I decide, okay, you know, I Believe that you know radiation is something that it was very familiar for me because for ten years my life was around X-rays and taking mm-hmm. radiographs and and then when I kind of finished pedo, I decide you know what I I think so it's a good area and and I and I think so pediatric dentists they are going to enjoy you know kind of walking together through radiation safety in the pediatric patient because as you know Casey. The patients that we work in our offices, they are more sensitive to radiation than adults. And right. that's a fact.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: no a smell or that's mm-hmm. not like, a, oh my God, it sounds like kids may be more sensitive, but there is obviously plenty of solid evidence that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that really point in the direction that when you have a child in the dental chair and you are going to take a radiograph, that child the thyroid, the eye, the salivary glands, they are more sensitive to radiation when you compare with an adult. Mm -hmm. So kind of, you can tell this is the middle. I can imagine if I answer this in the long way, uh, we'll Mm -hmm. be talking for six hours. So um, I became, you know, in the last, uh, as I told you, 2012, I finished pedo. So in the last 10 years, exactly 10 years, I became really um, a fan or, you know, a supporter of, The use of radiation in a in a very safe way with a pediatric patient, and um, and that's challenge because Casey, you are a practitioner, I'm a practitioner, and you know Mm -hmm. that a four year old, a five year old, is not going to say, "Hey, great, put the film in my mouth." And I mean, we work with a challenge patient, right? But at the same time, um, I think so. We pediatric dentists, we need to at least we need to try to do everything that we can to decrease. Uh, the the not to decrease. I I would say probably we need to do everything that we can to operate radiation equipment in the safest possible way, mm-hmm. and to take really the radiographs that we really needed, no even one more of the radiograph that we really needed. Mm-hmm. So that's how my life. And um, in the last ten years, I um, I developed multiple projects in the area of radiation dosimetry in 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 kids so i develop a, a a protocol to to check the amount of radiation when you take a bite win to check the amount of radiation when you do a panoramic film in a child so um in the last 10 years it's been really a joy to work in in, in a bunch of different projects with my residents mm-hmm. um in the area of radiation safety which i think yeah. so honestly um even twenty one century twenty twelve, I mean twenty twenty two, twenty twenty two. I think so radiation safety is one of the most hot topics in these days in dentistry,
0: together with maybe SDF or whatever. Sure, sure. Well, I got I got a couple of follow up things that I was just writing down as you were talking. But one of the things I didn't want to interrupt you. But you know, it's funny you were bringing up the whole dark room thing and the red light and the exposure. And it's you know, it's funny because ninety percent of the people listening to this have no idea what any of that entails. And and so. You being, you know, they kind of taught us a little bit in dental school, but everybody just kind of checked out because they knew, you know, in the real world, you're using either foster fl- plates or digital radiology or whatever. But do you, is there anything you miss or any, any benefits to those old days with the old way of developing film radiography that you miss or are those the dark ages that are better less, left behind us? I will tell
1: you, Casey, we need to set up a lot more uh, podcasts with you. First of all, I love to talk to you. Secondly, I love to have my beer next to me. And, yeah. And I, 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 and, and I like the way that we developed this chat because we, honestly, we we didn't meet yesterday to kind of prepare and have a script. I like that. I like this right. a very spontaneous conversation. Yep. Uh, your question is a great question, and I I I can... I can tell you so many things that I miss, but there is one, particularly Mm -hmm. one that I miss uh, of the old days. Casey, in the old days, we used to put a lot more attention to the process of taking a radiograph in a patient. We Mm -hmm. used to always, we used to have the XCP. Mm -hmm. I know some of the listeners of this podcast, they maybe they don't have any clue what is the meaning of XCP plus together with my Kentucky accent really sounds weird. (laughs) <laughs> but the XCP is the device that we use to take the radiograph. So in the old days, with the conventional radiograph, we used to place a lot more attention, dedication. And, and 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 believe me, I know it's hard to believe, but do you know why, Casey? Do you know why in the old days we used to
0: put more attention and we always used the XCP? Because, because always the always, leaders, you had one shot to get it right or you had to spend all the time. One shot to,
1: to get it right. Because exactly, mm-hmm. because casey the the retakes in the old days in these days they are painful okay but in the old days were extremely painful <laughs> having a retake in the old days means that you will get back to the chair smile and kind of pretend that that you know and tell the patient with a big smile showing your second molars mm-hmm. so that means that you really need to smile almost ear to ear and tell the patient hey i'm sorry um, something and you always will blame the liquids and you say, "Oh my God, the liquids were too old, or too hot, or too cold." We need to retake it, and it was a pain. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you a pain where, but it was a it was a really bad pain. Yeah. So you know, for this podcast and for the listeners who are kind of following us in this, um, I think so. We need to we need to remember that. With digital radiology, direct or indirect, whatever you use, you know, indirect is uh, the phosphor plates or PSP and the direct is the sensor, whatever you use. Mm -hmm. We need to, we really need to place attention when we are taking the film as much as we can. And we always need to use the XCP. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise it's challenge. I know it's easy to say, remember Casey, I'm a practitioner like you and like the listeners. I Mm -hmm. see patients and I know, Sometimes coming to a podcast is pretty easy to just say, hey, you know what, you need to do this and whatever. But, you know, the kids are difficult. But in the old days, we used to, we used to place a lot more attention in how we will perform the technique. Mm-hmm. Now, on the top of that, in the old days, we used, to, we used to use rectangular collimators. But then the rectangular collimators disappear and we replace the rectangular collimators by the round collimators because it's a lot easier to take a radiograph using a round collimator. But um, but we pay a price using the round collimators. The price is we deliver more radiation, and that's mm-hmm. a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and so a uh, quick so question that The collimator, you know, like when I ordered, you know, radiograph equipment and like a wall-mounted X-ray unit um, with like the tube head and everything – I don't ever remember, and I just did this recently when I ordered. I, never, I don't ever remember selecting from Plan Mecca what kind of head that I want. It just kind of came the way it came, and I started shooting x-rays. So, I mean, that, and that's everything is standard now with like a round or a, um, you know, like a circular uh, collimator now. Is that correct?
1: That's correct, Casey. I really, I don't, if you ask me why, we know that rectangular collimators are, imagine, when you use rectangular collimators, you cut the amount of radiation that you deliver to your patient in about 40 to 50 percent. Mm-hmm. So it's significant. Mm-hmm. Then, when you look and say, Well, but when I buy implant mecha, whatever I use to buy my equipment, why they are coming with round collimators? I don't know why. Well, I probably know why, but nobody really can confirm or nobody really can support the why. I think so. It's because it's a lot easier for the practitioner, for you and for me to take the radiographs using the round collimators. Rectangular collimators, they require a lot more, well, I don't want to say a lot, but they require more attention because it's a lot easier to have cone cuts. Cone cuts, right. Okay. um, Listen, Casey, look. um, In these days, uh, any pedo practice, your practice, my practice, you're supposed to... uh, keep a logbook or you're supposed to keep a record of the number of retakes that you have in your office per month or per Mm -hmm. week, whatever you want to do that. Mm -hmm. In the old days, we used to say that the acceptable number of retakes is about 10%. So for every 10 radiographs that you attempt to take, maybe one, you will need to retake it. And it may be not your fault. Maybe the kid is moving or whatever. Mm -hmm. But we are taking a we we our number these days is a lot more than 10%. I can imagine if you don't retrain your staff, if you don't kind of go back with your staff and explain how important it's to use the XCP. I can imagine if you switch to rectangular collimators, mm-hmm. your number of retakes will be a skyrocket, and then at the end the radiation that you are saving using the rectangular collimators is not going to make any sense because to get one periapical, you took 10 periepicals. So, mm-hmm. so that is no question. You know, it's interesting, Casey. The last report from the National Commission of Radiation Protection, it sounds like a federal, and you know, when we hear something federal, we, okay, wow. You know, the mm-hmm. re- National Commission of Radiation Protection. The last report in dentistry is from 2019 just before our friend COVID hit mm. our lives, December of 2019. You can buy for $75. It's uh, Radiation Protection in Dentistry from the National Commission of Radiation Protection 2019. It's a small book, uh, easy to read, big big letters, you know, Time mm-hmm. Roman font, very easy. Page 49, in capital letters, they say, dentists always must Shall use rectangular collimators when they take radiographs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I am a reviewer for a bunch of different journals. The other day, I, I was reviewing an article about they did a survey in a they, they, they did a survey with a bunch of dentists and pediatric dentists, including pediatric dentists. Less than five percent, five percent of the pediatric dentists in the US, based on that survey, I mean. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's more than that, but based on that, less than 5% of the pediatric dentists are using rectangular collimators.
0: Mm. I I imagine that number is just going to get smaller. Would you say that the rectangular collimators are probably older technology, older equipment that has, you know, because you buy a new office now, you're getting a nomad, you're getting wall-mounted, like all the new stuff that's got, you know, is it a matter of time before pediatric dentists don't pay attention to this and we're at 100% round Uh, collimators, the direction we're going? Well, Casey, uh, not really, because you can buy,
1: you can have your office or so in my office, you can buy a rectangular collimator adapter that you can place over the round collimator oh. that you have in your office. Okay. And you can do that. It's a couple of hundred dollars and you can buy that. I, you know, when I lecture about radiation safety, I have a slide with a bunch of different companies who provide you with, with uh, adapters so you can kind of retrofit a round collimator into a rectangular collimator interesting, and, um, and, and it will take a minute. But, you know, before you do that, you need to take the whole staff of your office one week to Cancun, Mexico, and you need to pay for everything. You need to put every single dental assistant and whatever is working with you, you need to take it to Cancun. You need to pay the round trip frontier Jesus. because that's probably the cheapest way to go there. And then you put everybody in a nice hotel, all inclusive, all the food, all the drinks and you pay for everything. And then the last day of the trip, the last day when everybody's in the lobby of the hotel waiting for the transportation, mm-hmm. you, bring the new, you bring the news. Starting next week, we are going to use the new rectangular collimators adapters. That's the only way that your staff will join you. Otherwise, if you do that, suddenly you just come tomorrow and say, hey, by the way, I just bought this a couple of adapters. They will kill you
0: are going to be mad. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. I don't know. My wallet one wouldn't like that, but uh, that's a good strategy. I'll keep, I'll keep that in mind. So then, so kind of while we're on this topic of, you know, being smart and responsible with the radiation doses, you know, tangent to that, we're talking about like modern equipment. You know, a lot of people listening are younger dentists doing startups, buying new equipment, trying to work into modern offices. Um, you know, I, I think there's obviously a push towards a lot of digital, you know, there's always a battle phosphor place versus, you know, going all digital and stuff. But, um, do you feel good about the direction pediatric dentistry might be going with it, the push to go digital? It seems like a lot of people I talk to digital is the hot thing. Like in my office, I love phosphor plates, but I just, I didn't put them in and we have transitioned towards, we've got a full wall full of sensors. We find it, we make it work. Um, do you, um, like, what are your thoughts on like the amount of radiation we're getting? Like with modern high tech X ray equipment, is it a fraction of what it used to be, and that's a good thing? Like the technology's gotten better. What are your thoughts on like where the technology's at?
1: You know, I, uh, you know, that, Casey, that's a that's a good question, and and I'm just trying to to put together my brain and and find a good way to answer so you know our friends and colleagues who are listening to us, they can kind of follow me. Okay, so let me start in this way. Okay. Um, is false or not true or whatever you want to call it that using digital radiology, we are using 99% less radiation comparing with the old days. Mm -hmm. And I use 99% because I hear that. Sometimes, you know, people will say, oh, I'm so good because I'm using digital radiology in my office and I'm 99% or 95 or 90, whatever. That's not true. The issue is, Obviously, phosphor plates or PSP or sensors, they need less radiation to generate the image, mm-hmm. period. That's no question about that. So you need less x-rays to create the image. Now, the question is, that less x-rays is 100% less, 99% less, 80% less? You know, they are... Uh, Millions, well, millions, hundreds Mm. of studies looking at the difference in terms of the dose. And probably the best way to, and um, I'm going to use really a rough number, it's a lot of variations. But digital radiology, sensors, and phosphoroplates, they probably need about 60% of x-rays comparing with traditional techniques. So, Mm. yes, you need less x-rays to generate the image. But this is the issue. The settings in the x-ray machine, wall-mounted or handheld, whatever you use, they need to be according to the sensor or phosphor plate that you are using, Casey. Because what happened is you can continue using the sensors and the phosphor plates using high KV or, you know, you have a child who is only four and then in the wall-mounted machine, you can just push the big guy. Now... The big guy is not the patient that I have in the chair. But I promise you that if you push the big guy and you take the radiograph, you are still having an image that you can manipulate and you can change the contrast and you can can convert that image in an image that you can see it. Mm -hmm. But you use a lot more radiation to create that image. Mm -hmm. So at the end, you you feel good because you have a sensor that you know that you need less radiation, but you took that X-ray with the wrong. Settings with the big guy when you have a little guy, and then you are still having an image. Mm -hmm. And because you are still having an image and you can change the contrast, then you will feel good and say, Well, you know, I'm using digital radiology, but your settings are the settings who are now appropriate for the projection that you are using in that patient. Now, Casey, in the old days, and again, you are you're probably 21 years old, so in the for young people, (laughs) young people like you, it doesn't make any sense, but in the old days. That was a critical error. If you take a radiograph with a high KV, imagine you take a radiograph with 75 KV, supposed to be 70 to 72. Mm-hmm. If you take a periapical with 75, what do you think the film will be?
0: Too dark or too light? I don't know. This is, uh, this is like the 50-50 on the radiology test I got in dental school that I had to really think about because <laughs> I, I always get them backwards. So I just flip a coin. Um, I'm going to go with too dark. Too dark,
1: yes. Yeah. So in the old days... That's it. I mean, the film was too dark. You only have one option. Get back to the patient, smile canine to canine and tell the patient we need to retake it. Mm -hmm. But in these days, you can take the radiograph with 75 kV and the film will be dark, but then you can, using whatever software you use, you can light the film. You can make the film more usable for whatever you need the film. Mm -hmm. So you are convinced that you are using less radiation, but you are not.
0: Mm. So let, uh, let me, let, let me ask you a, a kind of a hard question here. Cause I get this question. We all do, you know, get the question from moms that are, you know, want to deny x-rays because they're worried about radiation in their kids. They read a lot of stuff on Google and everything. And I've got kind of my verbal judo that I give to them to try to convince them otherwise. But I'd like to know your thoughts on if what I'm saying is accurate or if it's appropriate. So when moms say, I'm worried about, I don't like x-rays. I'm worried about radiation. I tell them, you know, mom, like I, I understand that. Like I want to make sure I'm getting an accurate diagnosis. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Like the, the quality x-rays that I use, they're very fast sensors. They don't require a lot of radiation. It's the equivalent to eating a couple bananas about the same amount of radiation. And then the mom's and I'm like, no, seriously, it, look it up. There's a radioactive isotope in bananas. The equivalent of eating a couple bananas is like getting an x-ray taken and it doesn't work all the time, but it's a good line. And sometimes parents will let me sneak out a couple bite wings. So, um, I don't know if that's if you've heard that one before, but that's kind of my clever little joke. I tell parents that sometimes wins them over. Well, I never hear that, but that's not true. It's not true.
1: <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, okay. I'm going to have to change my mind. Casey, Casey, look, <laughs> you use bananas, and I I don't know how many people is listening to this podcast. So we can, somebody will say orange, somebody will say, it's like a... You know some people say taking a radiograph is like
0: a walking outside looking at the sun or like some flying people, on an airplane cuz don't you get a lot of radiation just flying that's what they say you fly from New York to LA and it's equivalent to like a pantomograph like there's a lot the point is there's a lot of background radiation in our day-to-day lives that we're not uh, but, aware. But,
1: but that's my you know Casey but you know and and that's not true all these ways to compare at the end mm-hmm. the message is who cares i mean seriously when you use the bananas or when somebody used you know looking at the window whatever looking at who cares and 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 you just don't want to say who cares you need to kind of find something that it sounds almost nothing so parents will say well that's right you know having a banana and taking two bite wings who cares let's take the two bite wings and that's it
0: mm-hmm. so
1: so that's not true
0: okay and and,
1: and you Casey, you use that and you know, Brian do the same, and Catherine use the same, and somebody. I mean, we we create all kind of different. Anomalies. I don't want to start
0: any. Okay, for everybody that's listening, like we're gonna fact check this right now. I don't want to be spreading any bad <laughs> information.
1: So, um, Casey, that's not true. Okay. Um, the 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 point is, um, it, it, the, all the procedures that I mean, radiation. When you look at X rays. Uh, they cause some changes in the cells. There is no question about that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what happens, Casey, is the radiation accumulates in the tissues. And over time, is you, from the time that you take all these bite wins and the time that the patient may will have some issues, it's a long gap. So this is not like a cause effect. You know, if I punch you in your head, you you feel the pain and, mm-hmm. you know, and you may have some blood coming from your nose and I can say, OK, you have blood coming from your nose because I punch you because mm-hmm. it's a cause effect. But what happened is um, thyroid cancer is the fastest growing cancer in the U.S. More U.S. people have been is being diagnosed today with thyroid cancer than never before. Never before. And this is, you can, you can run a fact check and, and, and I can talk to you hours about that. Mm-hmm. Now, at what age usually thyroid cancer is diagnosed? It's around the late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. So there is no cause effect. And I'm not saying, please, I, I understand me. I'm not telling you just because you took one bite wind you are getting thyroid cancer. It's not right. like that. But because there is a long time between the radiographs and having some effects, it's, it's, it's challenged to make the correlation. It's really challenged to make the correlation. Mm. So, you know, all the efforts to try to minimize like the bananas or the orange or looking at the window of, of the plane are not really, you know, behind that is, you know, we just want, we are trying to get that bite wind that we need it. Clearly you need it because that's a justification. You want to see if the kid is having interproximal caries, no right. question about that. But we are using all these examples to try to avoid more discussion with the parents. Mm-hmm. For all the listeners, uh, and, and I will be more than happy to share that. About 10 years ago, I wrote two pages brochure, and is actually in the easiest language that you can imagine. I mean, it's, it's actually I designed the brochure for third graders. I mean, super easy. And I explained to the parents exactly, and no use in bananas, what is the, the meaning of taking a radiograph? And what is the meaning of radiation? And what is the meaning of a bite wing, And what is the meaning of a panoramic film? And I explained, so um, I wrote this for a national campaign that is still these days, Image Gently, which the name, I love it, Image Gently, which means that and it was created by pediatric radiologists to make awareness in the public about the use of radiation in children. So I was in charge of the dental part of Image Dentally, and I wrote this because that. Um, it's, and, and sometimes you know, it you ask me, okay, so tell me exactly what is the amount of radiation of one bite window. You how I explained that to the parents. So um probably the best way to explain is in terms of background radiation. Mm-hmm. You, Casey, and myself, we are exposed to radiation in our daily lives. You know, radiation is coming from different sources. Not all the radiation is x-rays. We are exposed to all different kinds of electromagnetic radiation. This morning, when you walk from your car to your office, you are exposed to the sun. And, you know, we, we get radiation from the sun. If you live in Kentucky or you live in Tennessee or you live in the Midwest states, you actually get exposed to radiation from radon, which yeah. is a radioactive gas who is in the, in the, in the cortex of the, of the Earth. So we get exposed to a bunch of different things. At the end of the year, 365 days, we receive a dose close to 3.5, 3.6 millisieverts. And that is what we call background radiation. 80% of that radiation is coming from natural sources, the sun, radon, and other radioactive materials, the bananas. (laughs) And 20% is coming from man-made radiation, x-rays, medical x-rays, microwaves, screens of computers, whatever. So to make the things easier for the audience, it's about 3.5 millisieverts per year. If you divide 3.5 millisieverts in 365 days, that's about 0.009 millisieverts per day. So that means that an average human... Now, if you live in Denver you get a little bit more radiation than 3.5 because you live in a high altitude. Right. If you live in Chernobyl, you get probably a lot more because you are next to a nuclear plant who actually went into a disaster. Or if you live next to Fukushima in <laughs> Japan, you probably get 20 millisieverts per year. So I will say 3.5. So one Bitewin, the amount of radiation of one Beidouin is about half a day of background radiation. One panoramic film is about one to three days of background radiation. And you can ask me, really, Juan, why one to three days? Because not all the panoramic films are made equal. There is a significant variation in terms of radiation in the panoramic machines. We published a couple of articles in the last five years that we showed that one come beam CT, full volume, listen to this with my accent, F-U-L-L, volume. So the full volume of a cam city CT in a 12-year-old is about 17 days of background radiation. 17 days, one seven. Mm-hmm. So when you go to the big meetings and the vendor is trying to convince you to buy a cam beam CT and they tell you, well, you know, don't worry about the radiation. One cam city CT is about one panoramic film. That's not true. Mm. Depends. If the cam city CT is a limited field of view, just the maxilla or just the mandible, then, maybe it's close to one panoramic film. My point is we we use all different strategies to try to and that's how I start the, the the conversation with you to try to minimize as much as we can the issue about radiation i um i I strongly believe that we unfortunately sometimes we don't pay attention to radiation in the way that we're supposed to pay attention yeah. um. We don't use the rectangular collimators that we're supposed to use rectangular collimators. We don't use XCPs that we're supposed to use XCPs. We don't account for the retakes, and we're supposed to do that so we can retrain our staff to provide better radiographs. Uh, We don't uh, adjust the settings of the X-ray machine to make sure that they are appropriate for the digital system that we are using. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, 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 and that's okay. Remember, there is a big gap between... And, um, so,
0: yeah. So then, you know, do you get, um, what are your thoughts then? You know, you see a lot of referrals from other dentists that do a lot of those pantomograph bite wings that we all, you know, roll our eyes at so much that are so undiagnostic, but, um, you know, I imagine this kind of falls in that category of x-rays that are uh, unnecessary exposure to radiation if that's the case, but I'm guessing you're not a huge fan of, um, I don't take them, by the way. I'm not a fan. I don't. I always retake my own bite wings if I get those. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. You get referrals from other dentists all the time with those pantomograph bite wings that are really not diagnostic. And you think, man, is that how much extra radiation is that kid getting that we can't really do anything with?
1: Well, let me tell you something about this um, because this is kind of a relaxed conversation, so which I love it. I love this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just before, well, 2019, March of 2019. Um, one of my residents, he is no anymore my residents, He finished the program and he he's a very successful pediatric dentist. I told him, Hey, do you know what? Let's go to Europe. I will invite you to go to Europe. And he looked at me and said, Really? What do you mean, Dr. J? And say, Yes, I want to go to a soccer game. And uh, he is a fan of soccer. And I told him, Let's go. And he said, What do you mean, let's go? And I said, Yeah, let's go and let's go for four or five days and and let's go to Europe. And he looked at me and said, Okay, we will go. So I went with him, my wife with him. His name is Dylan. And um, I love him. He's one of my most amazing residents I ever have in my life. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and, and the reason that I bring this story, so we went to Europe together and, and we went to a soccer game, and is because when he came to me and said, Well, I need to do a research project, and I say, Well, I have the perfect research project for you, we are going to prove that the Pano Bidwins are not as benign as people is trying to claim in terms of radiation. And he um, said, well, are you sure you want to do that? And I say, okay. And I say, yes, of course. So we, we did a study that actually is published in Pediatric Dentistry. And by the way, Dylan, he was a finalist in the Academy Awards. No, the Oscars, the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. He wasn't going to get
0: slapped by Will Smith up there, hopefully. Yeah, I know.
1: Or oh, oh, Dos Uruguitas, you know, the song for Sebastian Jatra, which he, he's from Colombia. Okay. So uh, actually, Dylan was one of the finalists in the best research project from the AAPD. So we, we look at the radiation dose of the pano bite winds, and we found that the radiation dose of the pano wings is about five times higher wow. than the dose of a conventional bite wing. But that's not the only problem, Casey. The problem is they are not really bite wins. Right. You learn in dental school. Where did you go to dental school, Casey? I went to Iowa. That's why when you said you went to, you did some training in oh, Iowa. Okay. So, to... okay, so you were training by Dr. Ruprecht. Axel Ruprecht, my man.
0: He's great. He was my
1: mentor. That's okay. so crazy. <laughs> so he was my mentor. Yeah. Oh, so cool. <laughs> he actually, Dr. Ruprecht, the best faculty that I
0: ever have in my life. He comes I mean, across as kind of a grumpy old man, but you can tell he's very smart and he loves what he does. Like he grows on you. He's a cool. He retired when I was there, so he's. Yeah, a
1: he's yeah. he's a professor emeritus of Iowa. So mm-hmm. I live in Coralville, and my first week in Coralville, they stole my bike from the parking lot. Oh no! So <laughs> you know, I and uh, so it was my my car was my bike. So mm-hmm. um, let me. Uh, we were talking about the um. Okay, so the panel bike panel bike wings, so, yes. Okay, so Doctor Ruprecht. He, I'm sure, because I know his powerpoints from A to Z. Mm -hmm. There is a powerpoint where he describes what is the meaning of a bite wing. The meaning of a bite wing is, it's a projection with a less amount of distortion because you use you. It's a ninety degrees, Mm -hmm. so you don't get distortion because it's designed to see the interproximal area. Correct. Mm -hmm. You don't see the roots. Correct. You only see the crowns. Right. That's a bite wing. Now, when you have a panel bite wing. You see the root and you see the crown. So technically it's not a Bidouin, plus the detail of a Pano is never, ever the detail that you wanted to really look for interproximal caries and to take the decision of I'm not going to treat or I am going to treat it, which is a critical decision. Mm -hmm. So um, in some circumstances, and I, I need to be honest with you, sometimes, you know, we have these little kids who are, you know, impossible to take a radiograph and let you want your finger to stay in the mouth of the kid. I mean, so sometimes Panobite wins they may actually be an alternative for kids who are extremely challenged or they have a very strong gag reflex.
0: reflex. Right.
1: Now, we have other options who use no ionizing radiation and, um, and, and, and there are other options like transillumination that you can use for patients who are challenged to take radiographs and and, and transillumination, that is a that is a it's not too easy. The learning curve. I don't know. You use transillumination in your office, but
0: you know the, I should more, but no, I don't. I don't use it enough as I should. Probably. Oh, we yeah. can have a podcast about transillumination, <laughs> and we can have a whole podcast about
1: non-ionizing radiation techniques to to because in some circumstances, the the uh, honestly, Casey, um, the transillumination. It offers a good plan B, and mm-hmm. uh, and and um, and then you can you can have an idea. Now, obviously, transillumination will bring some problems to the plate, like for example, false positives. Right. So sometimes, and and it takes time to really understand the technique, and and mm-hmm. but that's option. So the panel wins. I I definitely I don't um I I don't. I'm not a fan of replacing the conventional bite wings with pano bite wings. Yeah. So, um, do you remember the um, the cafeteria at the university, the molar? What is the filling? The
0: no, filling it's... station. The filling station. <laughs> the filling station. <laughs> I can't believe you're an Iowa grad. It's like I try to get people that are not from the Midwest or not trained at Iowa because it seems like I have a lot of them on and I was like, oh, Dr. Yeppison he's been you know he's got all <laughs> sorts of letters after his name, and I don't think any of them are at Iowa, but you did some degree of training at Iowa. It's just crazy
1: and yeah so- i I have some training in radiology in Iowa and yeah. i um it was a mall in Coralville I mm-hmm. remember it was they just opened the mall when I was there. remember Casey when I was in Iowa. Your mom will change your. Your mom was changing your diapers with poop, and yeah, I was in that's, Iowa. I mean, that's I mean, true. So, yeah,
0: so, so, yeah. If so you poop. were in, if you were there in the early nineties, that was uh, exactly when that would have early mid nineties. That would have been factual. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, it, something interesting is some of the faculty is still
1: there. Still
0: there, yeah. Yeah,
1: still in Iowa. I remember, uh, well, he, unfortunately, he passed away,
0: Dr. Mike Finkelstein. No, yeah, he's, like, the oral path. path uh, my, so yeah. my my dad uh, was a MD pathologist who trained at Iowa. And so he knew, like, um, Dr. Steve Vinson and Dr. Finkelstein. He knew a lot of those guys because he did his MD pathology and, like, rotated with the oral pathologist and stuff. So my dad okay. was, like, really wanted me to do oral pathology, but... Um, but I went, obviously went a different route, but yeah, very cool guys there. Yep. Um, Dr. Yappies, if you don't mind, because you had brought up, um, you know, finger in the mouth of the kid, one of the things I wanted, if you don't mind me just trans transitioning a little bit, I wanted to talk about some like occupational safety stuff with pediatric dentistry. I had a few things I wanted to ask about. Um, <clears throat> and there's a couple different things, but, uh, you know, I started thinking to myself, I was looking over the AAPD guidelines this morning and was, was looking at different things, but is there any hard research um, that pediatric dentists are exposed to more radiation just by the nature of our profession than, than, you know, a general dentist or any other specialty. Cause I I just think to myself, all the, I do a lot of in-office general anesthesia cause I'm in a high risk population in my practice. And, and, you know, those kids are asleep. So you stick your sensor in you hold their jaw shut and then, you know, and you try to do a cotton roll, but I'm trying to do six cases. I just like, I know I'm going to get done with my, Thirty years, and my hands going to look like meatloaf, and I'm going to have a squam, You know, I, I make the joke to my staff, like I'm I'm not responsible with it because I'm trying to go fast. But I got to thinking, like, is there any hard research that pediatric dentists are at higher risk for, like any sort of cancers or occupational exposures just by the nature of of what we do on a day to day basis?
1: Well, there are studies for with dentists, but I, as far as I know, I don't really. No, any particular study that looks at the amount of radiation in pediatric dentists. Um, mm-hmm. Just for your comments, which I agree a hundred percent. I will probably uh, my sense will be that pediatric dentists are exposed to more radiation than uh, other practitioners. But I really
0: using the same arguments. I'm sorry, but I just got this lady here. You're beautiful. I'm a dog guy. My dog Jasmine. I have to lock her in the bedroom because she'll come say hi when I'm doing my podcast. Look at that cute girl. Oh, she's, she's like an oversized cotton ball, but she looks very cuddly.
1: <laughs> I know she, she talks, you know, I know you don't believe me, but, um, but nobody believes, but, but she speaks speak pretty good. Uh, actually she speaks three languages. Wow. That's Danish, Dutch and Spanish.
0: <laughs> she's well-cultured dog.
1: <laughs> so we don't, yeah, I think so. Occupational. Um, I you know believe me, Casey, when I hear that that you put your finger and you have six patients, and my my point to you is be careful, be careful because um you know remember there is a long time between you getting a lot of radiation and having some issues mm-hmm. related with the radiation, and you don't want to develop hypothyroidism later in your life or you don't want to develop. Uh, remember, radiation also hits the eyes, and that can change the configuration of the lens of the eyes. So cool. don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. um, wear your thyroid collar in the correct way every single time that you are taking radiographs. Don't
0: expose your fingers. Um, so so- clarify, clarify that for me, too. Because in my mind, I think okay, if I'm holding a kid who's under anesthesia, if I'm holding their jaw shut with the sensor in place, you know, and I've got the, you know, my source of the radiation right next to it. I'm always worried about my hands. I've actually thought before about getting a pair of lead gloves to wear or like lead mittens or something, but maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Like I'm worried, okay, when I'm older is my risk for a squamous cell or something on my hand higher, but maybe I should still be thinking in the full body aspect, just like the scatter radiation or, or, you know, like you yeah, said, you-,
1: you know, they, they remember that in this day, you probably—I know—I'm going to say something that maybe will add some confusion to the discussion. But in this day, you probably don't need to use, or you need—you don't need to place in your body, or the patient body, the whole lead apron. You don't need to do that.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, because the scatter radiation
1: is, um, and and the scatter radiation is is true, and maybe the scatter radiation is going to affect the patient because mm. even if you place the thyroid collar. Some of the X rays actually can hit the thyroid, but in terms of scattered radiation getting out of the patient is almost zero. So many hospitals across the U.S. In fact, there is a lot of discussion around this about two years ago. A lot of the hospitals in the U.S. They are abandon the idea of wearing the whole lead aprons to protect the patients from from radiation. Um, yeah. uh, obviously. I mean, medical x-rays is is, is depending of the area, but in dentistry, you probably don't need to use the lead aprons. You don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, there is public perception. So I can imagine if suddenly you decide not to use the lead aprons, if now one parent every 100 ask you about radiation, if you don't have the lead aprons, patients or parents are going to start to post in Instagram and Facebook and your face with kind of two things here and (laughs) You know, like you are the, the 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 killer of children because you are yes. not using radiation. <laughs> so, I would recommend when you do that, use radiation gloves. You can buy that, and uh, they are radiation gloves. They look like uh, the regular gloves that we use. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they are more expensive, and you can re—I mean, you can you can have five or whatever you need it. But when you use these gloves, then you protect your hands, mm-hmm. and you need to have your thyroid color. And some people actually suggest that you need to use also uh, glasses that protects the eyes to get in some scattered radiation.
0: Okay. But for um, the patient for like routine bite wings and stuff, I, you know, I, I have stopped using a lead apron because we've had this discussion, but um, so, so just to clarify, cause I want to make sure I'm understanding you right. You're saying it's, it's, we're shifting towards literature and kind of discussion being okay to. Not have a lead apron on for pantomographs, obviously, but then for just like routine bite wings, but still something to be conscientious of if you are a practitioner exposed to it. Like it might be a good idea for us to wear it as practitioners helping with the x-rays, but it may not be something that the the patient themselves needs to have on. Yeah, that's
1: exactly what I said. Mm. Um, Remember, uh, Remember that not all the aprons are lead. There is also available in the market some non-lead aprons who mm-hmm. are actually less heavy and they are not susceptible for because when you have the lead aprons and you bend that you can create cracks and the non-lead aprons you don't need to pay a lot of attention how you storage that so that is also that option
0: mm-hmm. um i know we don't see pregnant patients a lot in um uh like in pediatrics but occasionally you know is there any like one thing that we run into a lot is pregnant mom mom's first trimester pregnancy and we've got a kid that's got trauma on enf and we want to try and take a max occlusal and it's a crying two-year-old where you know traditionally the parent's going to hold the kid in the, in their lap you know hold the head back you put a size two sensor in of some kind or a phosphor plate you take a max occlusal um any, any advice or words of wisdom on pregnant patients? Do we treat them any differently? Is it cheaper insurance to put a lead apron on them, or do we just advise them not be in the room? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, what do you mean? Maybe a mom who is maybe pregnant? Correct, yeah. No, you need, to, you need to ask the mom to step at least six feet away from the radiology source. No question about that. Okay, yeah. Fair and if the mom is six feet away, she doesn't need to protect, really, she doesn't need to place any lead aprons. Mm-hmm. Again, sometimes, Casey, what happens is there is a gap between the signs and the perception. Sure. So, um, you know, if, if you know, if you have a mom who is pregnant and is six feet, but still she feels more comfortable if
0: you place the light apron, just do it. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. But, but you don't need to do it. Okay. Yeah. That's the perks of, uh, practicing in rural Missouri. You know, I, I haven't put a lead a ap- I have lead aprons hanging there. I've had maybe one mom and all the several thousand kids I've seen that's asked about it. And I just come in and say, you know, the, the new guidelines are that it's, there's some, um, you know, discussion out there that the radiation gets trapped inside. I mean, I probably phrase it wrong, so you can correct me, but the radiation, you know, can actually get trapped inside the lead apron and bounce around like a pinball machine actually do more harm than good. And it's actually safer to let radiation pass through, you know, like on a very anatomic scale, it's not actually damaging tissue if you allow it just to pass through. And so I don't use the lead apron as often. And I have not really, at least in my demographic, haven't had a lot of patients, you know, argue it, which has been nice.
1: Well, I I just, um, I want to ask you something, uh, Casey, this has been a wonderful conversation. I have a meeting in about five minutes. You're fine. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you're and, and we're wrapping up. I'm right about the 50 minute mark and I like to keep them to about 55 to an hour. So I think I've actually just about gotten through my checklist of things we wanted to chat about. Um, I guess in closing, you know, this has been nice because it's at least making me think and I know I'm not the only one, but it's making me um, at a bare minimum stop and think about the way that I'm doing x-rays in my own office or doing radio, you know, paying attention to radiation safety, because it gets really easy in the day-to-day hustle and bustle to just go in and oh, take a few more x-rays, snap a few more pictures, like not pay attention to what you're doing. And if at a bare minimum, this conversation makes people think a little bit longer and harder about the way that they're doing x-rays and the quality and just quality control within their office, then I think we can call that a win for today. So there's been a, a good discussion on this.
1: Yeah, I love it. And maybe we can come back in the future. I really love yeah. it. I, I think so. These sure. conversations, you know, for me, I, I'm a teacher. I like these conversations because it's a different approach to the topics. And I think so you are doing a great job with this podcast because it's a lot, you know, sometimes when you are giving a formal lecture, you know, you you really don't have the time to say everything that you want to say. And, and, mm-hmm. and this podcast, I love it, the, the way that the interaction and, and and the way that it's conducted. So I think that so, you are doing a fantastic job. and. We can come back anytime, Casey.
0: Anytime. Thank I'm going to so get, get you on again because there's a, you know, a whole realm of topics that I know you'd be an expert on discussing. So you're going to stay on my list of potential podcast guests for a long time. So it'll be all good. Okay. Cool.
1: Thank
0: well, you, Dr. Casey. it was a great speaking to you. Have a great night. And I appreciate coming on again. You too. Thank you so much.
1: Hope to see you in face-to-face. Bye-bye. For sure. Bye-bye. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Don't forget to submit any questions, comments, or tough clinical situations to cgets at troypediatricdentist.com for our next Pedo Pearls Power Hour. Also, be sure to share our podcast and leave a review. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week for another episode.